For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. episode of the podcast lead singer syndrome my name is shane i will be your host as always as i take you into the backstage conversations that i have with other lead singers yes it's day 3496 of quarantine at least it feels like it man two months i guess it's been right two months a little more and, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, it's kind of crazy. I guess I've been pretty vocal on the show talking about how I wasn't doing so well. And, you know, uh, quarantine isn't exactly for me. But I got to say, I'm starting to get used to it. And I don't know if that scares me or what. But, like, you know, you're just kind of getting used to getting up, doing whatever, <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of getting a little bit weird, and I feel a little too comfortable with it right now. Um, but a month ago, I listened back to this. I did this about a month ago, April 24th. I recorded this with Mr. Dave Haas. He's our guest, by the way. And, you know, I think it was a whole different world a month ago, you know? It's incredible how fast things have been changing. But, um, you know, I planted the petunias. Now I'm moving on to some paver stones in a new walkway, smashing some concrete with a sledgehammer. That's what I'm up to lately. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great way to take out your coronavirus frustration, I think. So that's the latest with me. But yes, Dave Haas, he's here. Great guy, a great guest. And what, what a talent. And what a story. This guy cut his teeth as a tech, as a roadie <laughs> for... Other bands before giving it a shot on his own, and he's done very well for himself. 
And this really was a great conversation. I think there's so much here to take away. So sit back and uh, get ready for a very excellent edition of the podcast. What are we at? Episode 225? I think we are. It's really, really nice. I really like that. Thank you for being here as always. If you want to get in touch with me, you always can. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read them all. Send them. Also, I'm on social media at Shane Told. The podcast is at Lead Singer Syndrome. Check us out on there. And I got to do the plug. I do it every week because it's important. The Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. It is what keeps this thing going week after week for free. Without it, I don't know where I would be. So yes, please, if you're a fan of the show, if you like this thing, if you listen week after week, or you just want to help me out, head over to leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. You pay a little money every month, and it's really, really nice for me. Really. It really is. It keeps it going. And you get a whole bunch of stuff for that little amount of money. You get bonus episodes, and we have a whole bunch lately. Interaction with me, tons of interaction with other fans of the show, an amazing, amazing community of like-minded music fans really, really great. And of course, access to Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, free merchandise shipped to your house. It's really, really great. And it starts as as little as $6 a month. Maybe you've been saving some money during this quarantine. I don't know. I sure have been. What can you spend money on? Jeez, I've been buying some new equipment. That's about it. And paver stones and, you know, uh, sledgehammers and all that. But, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, you, you, aren't making I'm not making money but I'm not really spending it either so I don't know check it out again the link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access well I guess that's about it I don't have too much else to report so let's get into it and my conversation with Mr. Dave Oss I'm sick of feeling like I lost this fight Sick of graying up the wrongs and rights I'm pulling out of you to clear my sights Tonight, tonight, alright, alright Hear me up, baby, you try your best Write it up, but it would just seem trash Pulling out of you with only spice Tonight, tonight, alright, alright But I got this guitar that I can barely play Yeah Hey, Dave, what's up, man? Hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good, you know. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even have right. to, like, address it anymore, you know? Um, well, yeah, it's weird. I mean, <laughs> at some point, it's just, it's the cloud we're all under, and yeah. it's a it's a sort of known commodity. But I suppose if we're recording this for future, yes, it, it would be good for reference to know that we are in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, exactly. I've been I've been really explicit with that. In fact, I've even been telling people the date. And today is April 24th. You know, just because shit changes so rapidly, you know? Um, well, yeah, it is interesting because I think, uh, you know, point, um, we will be through this. And it's, it's hard because if it's a solution, you know, if suddenly it's as passe, and I say that, <laughs> you know, respect as um as any other disease we vaccinated for right 
won't be able to understand i think at, at least like in in the in the very far off future how severe this was you know oh, obviously yeah. anybody living through it will remember how brutal this is but you know if people are listening to this podcast in like you know 15 or 20 years they might go what was everybody so worried about it's it, hopefully that's the case right hopefully it doesn't like change everything so you know like people will be like, remember when we used to shake hands? That was fucking weird. We were stupid for shaking hands. Like, I hope it doesn't turn into that kind of a a world. But you know, I mean, I think the longer this goes on, the more chance of that happening is. You know, and I think of like, I mean, shit. We're from punk rock backgrounds, and and you know, you're still playing house shows when, or or I mean, house shows are a bad example because we're we're talking about just like maybe a hundred people or something. But you know, like a pack club like think about the church in philly when they sell that place out you know Mm -hmm. that that amount of people in a small space i just my fear is i don't want people to be like i'm not fucking going there are you crazy because the longer this goes on the more people are going to be worried of if it isn't covid19 it'll be covid26 or covid48 you know what i mean yeah i think you're right i mean i I, i'm trying not to go too far down (laughs) any rabbit holes but um i do think that without a really sound cure or vaccine um i think our line of work is really going to change and yeah um you know that's definitely another thing to to put on to an otherwise very stressful situation and so you know i think everybody's going through that anybody who has a job that is um you know, there's tons and tons of jobs in any sector. Yeah, they're um, they hinge on on public interaction. You know, <laughs> so yeah. I think uh, you know, for us, for what we do, it's I don't. I mean, the crazy thing too is is I think the industry in general is just moving the goalposts. They keep going like, okay, well, let's reschedule for this date. Mm, I know. And, I don't think, you know, I mean, I know that this is going to go out in public and I'll, I'll, I'll take the heat for it. But I just think that what they're doing is, um, is keeping themselves busy and that's okay. But I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's reasonable to assume we'll be back anytime soon without a very, uh, very different way of handling the, the actual disease. Cause like you're saying, I mean, I wouldn't go to any show. If you told me Eddie Vedder and Fiona Apple were playing a show, down the block i wouldn't go right <laughs> and, you know otherwise i'd follow over myself to go to that gig and pay whatever i needed to to get <laughs> in but i just would be like yeah i don't think so it's it seems irresponsible and potentially dangerous so yeah, yeah it's 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 a scary time no uh, absolutely man i i read a quote uh, from an interview that you did in february i'm just i'm gonna read your words back to you here but this is in february okay Things look hopeless right now. The climate's a mess and democracy is in decline in the Western world and things look bleak. That's sort of where the record title came from. What do you mean? uh, Sorry, what do you do when you feel like drowning? Referring to your record kick. Um, But it's just kind of, I laughed when I read that, right? Because when you, presumably when you did that interview, things were kind of fine compared to now, right? But like, it's a weird it's not like a band-aid. It's a distraction, right? To everything else going on in the world. But here we are, you know, it's gotten even worse. Um, and, and, you know, where you are in your life now, obviously you're raising young children. Um, 
everything has changed for you in just a couple of years. I can't imagine what's going through your head. Just it just must be such a whirlwind for you. Well, here's the funny thing. I mean, I said that, and that was turning an outward eye. That was me watching the culture and, you know, being an American in the last couple of years, um, you know, and, and, and trying to be aware of, of everything that's going on. But mm-hmm. personally, life was great. Oh, okay. you know? yeah. I mean, I brought in to the world with my wife these two wonderful you know, twin boys that have totally reset my, you know, value system and my hope. And, and, um, you know, in terms of playing shows and the professional side of my life, like it had been going great, you know, January and February, except for the last three shows getting canceled were like some of the biggest and most successful, uh, shows that I had ever played as a, as a solo headliner or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, uh, in the year that we had planned out was very balanced. It was, there's a lot of shows, um, but not too many, you know, it's just enough to kind of keep, um, things going and allow enough room for family time and writing a new record. So I was sort of saying that, um, more socially and politically and, um, and now you're right. I mean, with with a with a pandemic, I think like what you have is just another layer of pressure on an already strained world, an already strained um, economy and 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 social structure and so on. And I think for me that this has been this does the same thing personally. So at home, if there's you know, things that you haven't worked out or divisions of labor or, you know, new ways of, of trying to navigate your life with children and so on. Right. Then a pandemic makes all that stuff more acute and, and difficult. So I think, um, you know, it's all, you know, in any kind of songwriting, I think like you're trying to do the macro and the micro. You're trying mm-hmm. to do an overview mm-hmm. so that it can be understood more uh, globally and then also trying to get specific because that's where you infuse your own uh, worldview on a song. And, um, and I think that's just happening right now for me with, with, with being home and, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm sure you've gone through these weird waves too, where you're like, well, I mean, I'm not, I don't have the, the virus. Right. My dad doesn't have the virus. My kids are okay. My wife's okay. Um, you know, I'm not on my last 500 bucks, you know, like I, I can ride it out for a while. And so, you know, what do I really have to be worried about? And I think, and, but, I, but I think it's like that comparative suffering is probably not good. Like it can be okay for you to be like, man, I'm bummed. I had all this good stuff going and right. I had a plan and now the plan is dashed or I'm bummed. Hey, a lot of people are going to die, you know? <laughs> sure. So it's it, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of thoughts flying around, and and for me, that's been the the daily uh, difficulty is is trying to get your mental health and uh, that whole shooting match to to jive and and be in the moment because right now we definitely don't know what's going to happen. No, well, I mean, you you seem pretty positive and upbeat considering you know, um, like I talked to Tim Barry. You know, Avail Tim Barry, and uh, it was a while ago, and he was. I mean, this is obviously why I put it in context. This was kind of right when things were happening. You know, and he's like, "I got to stock up." You know, I got to get protein. I, you know, all these things, right? And everybody handles this in different ways. But you know, someone like Tim and someone like you, in a lot of ways, have some similarities. 
You know what I mean? He's got a kid too. Um, you know, you guys both rely heavily on, you know, going out and performing live. I mean, that's right. got to be a huge bulk of your income. I mean, I don't yeah. even want to speculate on a percentage or whatever, but you know, when you're oh, it's it's eighty five. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, I, sure. It's the same thing for everybody. Yeah. Anybody who does this, whether you're in the national or you're Bruce Springsteen or you're me or you're in Silverstein, like. It's 85%, maybe 90, you mm-hmm. know, of, of what we make. Go, you go out and most of it is t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, most of it is, is whatever you can make off the door once everyone's had their hand in the pot. Mm-hmm. And then, exactly. um, you know, and so I think the one thing for a guy like me or a guy like Tim is there's a scalable nature to what we do. And this was... This was part of why I ended up playing solo in the first place was because there yeah. was the crash of 2008 um, and 2009. And, and it, it rendered both of the businesses I had at the time kind of uh, redundant. You know, I had a construction business and that all kind of closed down because nobody had money to build additions. And, right. Um, and that was sort of sustaining the fact that I was in a punk band at the time. And that was no longer... He couldn't make any margin on that either at the time because, right. you know, suddenly people didn't have money to go see the loved ones. So um, I said, well, I can go out and make as much or close to as much as a carpenter with just a guitar. <laughs> and there's no yeah. carpentry work. And so if I just go in a car and with a box of T-shirts, I can kind of eke out a small living. Right. And <clears throat> that having, you know, this whole thing born out of that, I always go back to that. Like, I don't do the thing where, um, you know, I know that there's a big show in Philadelphia or Cologne or London, and that's going to pay for a week of the tour. I don't do that. Like, I make sure that we are as lean and mean as we possibly can be because I know that the London show might not happen. And so, you know, it's sort of a depression mentality, but that's how I approach this. And so I can scale down and just go out in a car with my brother and play. And in that same respect, I can sort of, you know, go online and play one of these live streamed shows as much as I don't necessarily want to do that in terms of like the aesthetic I can. And I think that's one thing that that can help. Um, You know, when we go back to work, I can play maybe in people's houses or something like if there's a scalable, um, version of, of of playing live right so and, I think, you, and you've done it before help. right i mean it's not it's not going to be completely unfamiliar for you if you, if that is you know something you have to do it makes a lot of sense right i mean all that said um i don't even see that happening for the for the <laughs> right. foreseeable future like i don't think we'll work in this 2020 and I, and it's funny because we say that and then we go like, oh, maybe 2021, but it's not like the virus will go away by January 1st. Yeah. So, no, you know, it's, no. it's, it's, it's really tricky and I'm trying to uh, figure out what to do um, because there's only so many times I think you can ask the fans to, you know, to tune in and hear the songs played on a Wi-Fi connection. I know. And uh, I know. there's only so many things you can offer, you know, like post here, like on my stage at show I did, I did like a bunch of handwritten lyrics and right. um, a postcard that each person gets if the, you know, and that's cool, but I don't know. I mean, can you do that five times in a year? Maybe. Um, 
but at a certain point, um, it, it, it's going to have to change. And so, and I'm kind of maybe to my own detriment, really hyper aware of that, you know, like I don't, I don't like to ask too much of people. I guess it's that same thing. Like I'm coming from a working class background and I know what it's like to have a really small budget for your entertainment. And, uh, and so I'm really, you know, sensitive to that. Yeah. So I'm not sure, man. I mean, I think, you know, there's people are suggesting Patreon and these kinds of things where, you know, you offer exclusive content and I mean, I'm up again. I don't judge any of this stuff, but it's just whether or not it's a fit for me, you know, like, so we'll see. I think it's, uh, it's definitely going to be time to come up with some new ideas. Um, I mean, one idea is just to disappear. That was was, was certainly something I come to, you know, two or three times a week. I go, well, maybe I'll just raise the kids because my wife is a, a psychotherapist, you know, she's like she's got work and she can work okay. uh, FaceTime or right. um, telehealth or whatever it is. And, you know, people are lining up for therapy right now. Oh, I and can't. right. So, you know, it may just be that she, we, we shift and try to get some, you know, support from, uh, you know, music cares or whatever on one side of it. And then I can just raise my boys until I can go back to work with like any regularity. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't really do my brother any favors. And- well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, with the, obviously the loved ones being such a great band, breaking up, your construction company kind of going away, and you embarking on this journey of Dave Haas, right? And that's – you're a mm-hmm. solo act first and foremost. That's how people know you. But mm-hmm. over time, and, and it's been – I guess it's been almost exactly 10 years since you've been putting out solo records – you know, but yeah. it's been a very slow and steady journey for you. You know, you've you've put out a lot of small releases, and you pretty much played entirely by yourself. I guess with your brother for you know, is it 2017 when you kind of launched Dave Haas, um, you know, and the Mermaid and the whole you know the the whole backing band. But I mean, yeah, that was the third what, album. The third album, yeah. I mean yeah. that, but that's a big decision, right? I mean, I. I understand that that's probably why it took so long because once you do that, that's more mouths to feed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's more plane tickets. That's, yep. that's way more expenses to where you have to have higher guarantees. You have to be playing bigger places. It has to make sense. So, yep. I mean, obviously, that I'm sure that was all by design, um, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it's that's a big step. And now you find yourself in this place where it's like, oh, man, I, I'm – for lack of a better word, you you're their boss, right? I mean, you're their employment, so right. that's that's pressure, right? Exactly. I think at some point I had this conversation long before there was any um, COVID, or it was basically when my wife got pregnant. I came to the band, and we had done 150 shows in 2017, and I knew 18 was going to be a yeah. slower year. Yeah, and I approached everybody. I said, "Look, I don't have work for everybody." I've worked for Tim and, uh, you know, this has been awesome to do 150 or whatever it was. It was a ton of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you, you know, I'm concerned about you guys and every one of them at the time, it was Kevin Kaylee and miles were all like, you know, we don't, we didn't think we'd work this much. And we were always looking at this as like independent contractors. We weren't 
assuming we joined Tom Penny and the Heartbreakers. Like maybe someday, you know, but we didn't, we knew what we were getting into. Right. And that was a big relief. Um, sure. Because, you know, yeah, you're right. I, I, I was worried. And even as Kick rolled out and we toured on that, um, I had the same conversation with Matt because our, our bass player, Miles, took a job at Hurley and, and you know, didn't want to be on the road anymore. But I think that you have to select people who understand what's going on and you have to be clear. There's a lot of, uh, you know, friends of mine even that are band uh, runners or whatever you call it, the you know, solo guys that, that bring backing bands that aren't clear with their musicians. And it creates a lot of stress for people. And, um, you know, it, 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 again, I think like part of the way that I try to handle that is is twofold. One, I was a contractor, so I understand what it's like to be waiting for work and waiting for money. And two, um, I was a roadie. So for years working for the sick of it all and the bouncing souls and all those bands, like I knew what it was like to be, um, reliant on others for work in this field. And so I try to be really clear with people who are going to play with me. Like, look, here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. You know, we're hoping to get fill in the blank tour, with giant band, you know, X, if that doesn't happen, <laughs> we've got this festival locked in we've got the following dates. We're going to headline. That's what I've got. Would you like to do it? Right. And I do that like with people who are quote unquote in the band, like the, the public assumes they are in the band because that's who's playing. But I still try to approach it. Like, look, here's what I know. Here's, I'm going to let you know right away. And if you'd like to do it, great if you can't i totally understand (laughs) you know so so operating that way at least people you know more than um fame and fortune i think people just want clarity (laughs) yeah you know they just want to know when they're working when they're not working and so they can plan accordingly and um and that's been that's been something i try to keep at the top of my mind, because you are asking other people to play your songs, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm sort of responsible for that. And, and I try to honor that with, you know, with the dignity of, 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 of communication. Well, that's, I mean, that's important. I think that, and I think that's really noble of you to do that because a lot of people, unfortunately, and this is lead singer syndrome, the name of the podcast, it's obviously it's tongue in cheek, <laughs> but there are a lot of pricks out there. I mean, there's a lot of people that are way too good for the other members of their band. And, you know, they treat them, I don't want to say like slaves, that's bad terminology, but, you know, in some ways, oh, what, you don't want to drive around for three weeks in a van? I get my own bench seat. There's four of you on one bench seat, you know, and, and here's 50 bucks. You know what I mean? That's yeah, that's right. the reality that a lot of this, um, a lot that happens in, I'm not going to say our world, but in music, you know, it does happen. Oh, I think it happens a lot, um, you know, in, in the larger music industry, but it certainly happens in a more subtle way in our world. Mm -hmm. Um, it just has to do with your ego and whether or not, um, you have that in check or you've ever even thought about it in the first place. And, you know, a lot of the ways that I try to operate now are born of making errors in the past. Like I, I would take full responsibility for, um, you know, my role in the loved ones being a dysfunctional 
situation. And, um, yeah. you know, was guilty of lead singer syndrome in certain <laughs> aspects back then. Yeah. Um, and instead of, um, instead of saying, Hey, you know, whatever gifts you were given that really don't have much to do with you. In other words, like if you're able to work a crowd and you have a voice where you can sing relatively close to being in key, or you can write lyrics that compel people, like you didn't have much to do with that gift. It's like being born uh, a super attractive person, you know, like, I don't know what that's like, but it does. I have spent time with people who that's all they've got going and they're not that compelling because they're basically trading on a currency of something they were given, not something they worked for. But anyway, right. uh, if you have those gifts, you really should be, um, you know, thanking your lucky stars that you're not digging a ditch and, uh, you know, for a living, because in, in, in other, in other times in our species, you would have been the jester. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't entertain the king, you didn't eat. And maybe you lost your head, but it's just in the last couple hundred years or even hundred years that you can sing and, and be in a band and have that, like, uh, be venerated to the, you know, oh my God, that, that person's, uh, you know, special. Right. Well, so you, so you think that, that, you know, being able to sing or write or whatever is, you think that that's kind of something you're born with, not something that you know, people work towards as much? Like, what's, well, I do what's think your take? You should, yeah, well, I do think it's a little bit of each. But uh -huh. you could, most of what I do is working hard at it. You know, like, I don't, but what I mean is, like, that the little spark wherein you can, you know, there's certain people that can work a crowd and certain people that can't. Right. And that little spark, you're, you know, that sort of, you can work at it, you can get better at it. Um, but what I mean is like being, um, being flippant with something that you were given, you right. know, being for sure. I, oh, I understand your point. I just was, was but, thought but, but I was, yeah, no, I was no, just I, I analyzing that one thing you said and I was like, huh, that, I don't know if that's something we like, we never really talked about on the podcast before. So that's why I kind of gravitated towards that for a second, you know? Um, well, you know, I mean, the longer I go in this business, the people who, and especially since I've been sober, the people who go on and on and on about, you know, why they are great at what they do or how they're great at what they do, it's just a drag. You know, you're just, <laughs> it, it, it becomes like, man, this is, this person is totally uh, self absorbed. And, and I think that a lot of that is an, is an enemy of songwriting. You know, like I think a lot of what you want, is to have your antennae up so that you can receive transmissions. You know, yeah. you can receive ideas that are like sort of in the greater consciousness and so on. And, and empathy is a huge part of that. And I think if you're totally wrapped up in your own ego, the, a lot of that turns off. Yeah. Um, especially over time. So I don't know. I think it's interesting because lead singer syndrome, I figured it was tongue in cheek, cheek obviously, because we've met and I don't, <laughs> I don't get that right from you at all. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it is a thing that creeps in when, um, when you're, especially early on, when you first go from like, um, you know, whatever it might be, a barista or working at a movie theater or hanging drywall to like, having a successful show that's a huge responsibility to suddenly realize like this song you made up in your underwear 
with the TV on. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you're, and when that happens, if you're too young or you're too drunk or you're too immature to handle that, you, you can, you can really make a mess of it. Yeah. And, um, and you think you and did, for, do you think you did with the loved ones? I mean, the loved ones, let's go back and talk about that band. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were, a, a you said roadie. Are you allowed to say roadie? Is that a derogatory term? Or if you were one, you can say it. I don't know. I don't. I didn't <laughs> think of it as derogatory. But again, this is the the. Uh, it's a changing time. Everything's changing. So <laughs> I if know. it's derogatory <laughs> in 2020, then I'm sorry. But no, I, I think I don't it know. Just means you- you work as a – I was a stage tech to be more specific. Right, right. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. No, I always hear people say that, that they're the, that or a crew member or whatever. I feel like – I don't know if roadie is a is a bad word these days. But regardless, if you were one, you take you take back that word, Dave. You're, you're good. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you came from that. You Obviously, you knew – um, kind of the ins and outs of of what a headliner band was entitled to, you know, when you when you headlined, for example, like a lot of bands, you know, when they're when they be, they start touring and stuff, they don't get it, they don't know the the etiquette, you know, maybe right. oh, like catering's up, well, like maybe wait till the headliners get their first take of the catering, you know, not that anyone even does that anymore, but you know those kinds right. of things. You know, you mm-hmm. were very in tune with. So then you start this band. Great. I mean, I love your, I love the loved ones so much. Still, oh, like, I still love your records, and I'm so sad that the band went away. But you know, you got a lot of people saying how great you are, um, and you're getting some pretty good tours. But then at the same time, the success from the band wasn't like immediate. It wasn't like, oh, well. Here we are at the church in Philly. Next time we're going to be at uh, the truck, and next time we're going to be at um, Electric Factory. You know, it, right. it didn't. It wasn't that kind of momentum that the band had. So, I, just take me through kind of the the ins and outs of the how you started, and then you know, kind of what happened because it wasn't that many years. Oh no, no, it wasn't. That's why it's so funny to have it come up so often. Yeah, um, especially now because most places where I play like we can draw as many or more people than the loved ones a lot of people don't even know who the loved ones were yeah you know just because i've been at this now for 10 years and i think the loved ones all in was maybe five years and maybe three and a half of those were super active um (laughs) yeah but a lot of it was we just came right out of the gate swinging and um and i think we were so there was this band the curse that i did yeah i was doing a band called the curse and a band uh painted black i was yeah. in with dan eman and, and uh, andy nelson and stuff and um so it sort of came out of a scene and the curse did one full year and we got amazing shows i mean we were able to open for sick of it all and avail and we did a whole tour with avail um we opened yeah. for fugazi i mean it was crazy wow. um and uh, and that was 2003, and I was also working for the Bouncing Souls then, and pretty much full time. So I was going back and forth between um, Souls work, uh, working for the Explosion, and they were on Virgin at the time, so they were getting all these big tours, and you know, I was really busy. But the curse uh, caved in. Um, we got sued for the name by a band with like 40 MySpace fans or something <laughs> but they just happened to have a bass player that was a, a lawyer oh so really they, uh, 
<laughs> so they sued for the name and right when we, our EP was coming out, and we just kind of folded up the tent. And I Sorry, realized the, the curse. Wait, so there was another band called The Curse that sued you. Yeah, that's right. Not yeah, cur- they were I from- thought you meant cursed, like the band from Canada. Oh no, no, I, no! I was like, that does not sound like Chris Callahan, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. There's another band called The Curse. Right. Okay, got it. Um, and uh, their bass player happened to be a lawyer, so right, they had right, right. Uh, the ability to sue. And we were sort of just wet behind the ears and went, "Oh my god, a lawsuit! We gotta quit." Yeah. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that that band caved in, and that band was really hardcore. It was, we were sort of. Um, playing really genre specific music, you know, and uh, and I realized that I didn't want to do that. I, I that a lot of my influences were more um, rock, you know, more yeah. more uh, rock and roll and and classic music and so on. And I just wanted to get away from that, and I wanted to sing. I wanted to be the only uh, vocalist or whatever, the only songwriting. I wanted a clear um, like a, a clear artistic means to, to deliver, and were you, and so were you. Sorry to interrupt. Were you pretty confident as a singer at that point? Like, like, did you feel like, hey, I can do this, or were you like, I'm gonna try? Not exactly. Exactly. Like, I didn't really know how to sing in the studio, and I really didn't. I mean, what was how. Music and the bounced horde a lot together. Hot water and music. Yeah. Hot. Did you say? Sorry, cut out for a second. Hot water music and the bouncing souls. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. When I was working for the souls, hot water with them a bunch, and I had been good friends with the hot water guys for whatever you know, just through punk music scene and all that jazz. Yeah. And I think at the time Waller didn't want to be playing trusty chords. Like he was like, oh, I don't want to play that song. It's it's too. Simple, or I forget what somebody just reminded me that this is the way it went down, and I didn't even remember this. Okay, but, okay. Um, we all, the souls, and I were all like, What? That, that's the best song. And so I think we started playing it in sound check, and Wallard was tickled by the version. I was like, Well, <laughs> why don't we, why don't you sing it? And that put an enormous amount of confidence into an otherwise kind of uncertain person you know i had sang in the curse backups and i sang all the melody parts yeah our singer at the time was more of like a hardcore singer and um so i had like you know the b parts and uh, so i had a little bit of confidence that way but not as like a lead vocalist but honestly as crazy as it sounds like being able to perform one song with you know that was written by one of my favorite songwriters and having that songwriter go like you sound great you should do this with us on tour. <laughs> so you, you played. It- so wait. Tr- so the souls played trusty chords with you. Yeah. At shows. Yep. Because well, it Hot started Water in sound playing. checks. Oh, oh yeah, it but, started but then it actually checks. happened. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think <laughs> it may have been one of those things where, like the like at the end, the bands all kind of came out and played each other's songs okay. or something. Right, right, right. And Wallard was like, "You sing two verses or I can't remember because it was so." <laughs> drunk the whole thing was so you know it was, it was a long time ago and it was very lubed by booze right um <laughs> but i think but i do remember that being a huge confidence booster and every band that i worked for like the explosion the souls even sick of it all were like i don't know that you should be doing this like they would hear me play guitar or something or like strumming on a song and they'd be like what is that I'd like oh that's a song i made up and they'd be like why aren't you really should not 
tuner guitars. <laughs> Which is, again, that's a big boost for somebody who... I had no clear idea of, of a musical life. You know, like Philadelphia at the time, there was a hardcore scene, but there, there wasn't anybody that I knew that made a living playing music. Like that was so foreign to me. So working for Sick of It All, working for the Bouncing Souls, like you sort of figure out how that works. Right. And, and then to have those people who were at that point, the only example I had of people who make a living playing music say, hey, you could do it too. That's pretty enormous at a, at a, you know, in your 20s to have people like that. Because it was not lost on me that I was working for two of like the biggest underground punk bands at the time. You know, like they were huge. Um, so that, those votes of confidence, I think, had a lot to do with me being willing. And over time, the guys in the Souls and the guys in Hot Water helped. You know, I had like band names planned for the loved ones that that like Chris Wallard or, or Pete Steinkoff from the souls would be like, that's not, that's not the right name. That's too dark. Like, right. Right. You have to, you have to make this about what, who, you know, your best nature. And, you know, so th those are major impactful things to say to somebody who's just starting. Um, and then our first show was the bouncing souls, hot water music in gray area at the Trocadero in Philly. Oh man, I love gray area. What a great band. Yeah, so Man, that was so under huge, under the radar. I, I like love Gray Area. They were great. Yeah, yeah. And Ernie was. I never was saw. Them, I never was, saw them play. I don't know if they ever came to Canada, but probably not. I don't Ernie know. I never saw them. So. Leave, uh, uh, Queens, let alone right. go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that, then the band was off to the races, and yeah. you know, it's funny because you say that uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, you know, we were immediately playing the truck, but our first show was actually at the truck. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then surprisingly we had like all of anybody within the bubble of people that I knew, which was like G tree records, fat records, um, epitaph side one, like they all were interested right away. And so in, in some ways there was a lot of, um, heat, right off the bat, like yeah. off that first P people were at least interested. And we started to see the shows fill pretty quick, especially like in Philly and New York. Like we started to go from 50 people to 200 or 500 or, wow. you know, yeah. um, and then, and then it got weird because <laughs> I think between the first, between the two records, there was, uh, you know, basically, the um the internet really took over in terms of like the way people was, were receiving music well yeah this God. is like prime myspace days you know right yeah right exactly this was the first record was 06 the second record yeah. was 08 it's funny i read like a a piece it was maybe like in i don't know it was some music publication that said like those are the forgotten years those are the years where you know, CDs no longer exist and streaming wasn't really up. So yeah. it's really easy to to um, basically forget what even happened. Like we don't really have a record of what happened then, which I think is interesting because we both were very, very busy making music then. Yes, um, like as busy as ever. Like that, yeah, that's, maybe, that's funny because that's – I've never heard anyone say it for those years specifically, but I, I think to that and I go, oh, okay, that was my prime. <laughs> <laughs> my prime was exactly. the forgotten years. Hey, great, great. Anyway, I know. I, I sort of felt the same. I felt a certain amount of like sadness about that because I was like, yeah, they, it makes sense because what they were saying was in two thousand 
one and two records were still selling like crazy, you know, or even three. Yeah. You had like five, make a platinum album or whatever. Right. And, right. Yeah. But then it sort of fell off and that's when we, we got busy. <laughs> so yeah, it's great. It's, it's anyway, uh, so the band just, and I think we made a really good first album. Like I think that people responded and, and, and fat was really on board. They were really excited. It was before, a lot of the internal um, struggles came for them. That right. first record, right? Um, well, I, re- I remember talking to Fat Mike about the record, and I think oh. this was because it was. <laughs> I think it was Warp Tour, maybe. No, yeah, it must have been Warp Tour. And uh, we used to play poker uh, like almost every night on Warp Tour, and mm-hmm. I think this would have been 06. And I remember something came out. I think Billy was wearing a loved one's shirt. I think that that's what it was. And, mm-hmm. and Fat Mike was like, he said something like, you know how, you know, Mike, he said something yeah. like really create, like really, you know, like best, best record I ever put out. He, he's like, but they got the, they got the sequence all wrong. He's like the sequence, <laughs> all the, the best songs are at the end of the record. And, and I, I told him it's, I told him it's a great record, but, but it's, it's in the wrong order. And, um, I, I, yeah, he called, there's a really good story about that. He oh, called really? me. Oh, I want to yeah, hear it. Yeah. I want to hear it so bad. <laughs> So one of the reasons this is so much of this is kind of still couched in a little bit of shame for me because I feel like there were some errors made, but we went out and opened for no effects in San Francisco and then went right down to LA and played two shows with bad religion, like in the same weekend. Yeah. And that was essentially showcases like both Brett and Mike wanted to see what this band was about. And basically Mike, uh, I, I already knew no effects and I knew bad religion a little bit, but I was comfortable with Mike because the souls had, and sick of it all had both toured so much with him. Yeah. And he walked into the backstage and handed me a bag of drugs and was like, look, I'll pay for the, the demos. If I like them, I'll put it out. That's my pitch. And I was like, wow, this is, this is so easy. <laughs> and we had a great night. And then I went down to Los Angeles with the band and, it was tough. The bad religion crowd was not feeling it. Right. And um, yeah, I was getting heckled and I made a joke wherein I said, okay, I get it. You, you don't like us, but I'm not the idiot that paid thirty six fifty to come see bad religion. Oh. To the heckler. Which was, you know, I know Jay and I know Brian and I knew they would think that was funny. Right, but it didn't necessarily ingratiate us towards anyone in the thousand capacity place. Right, <laughs> so right off the bat, I think Brett was kind of like, "What is up with this guy?" And then we talked about putting out the record, and and Brett had a really um, interesting way of looking at it. He was like, "You know, you don't really have time to develop. You have to put out your best record first. Are you ready to do that?" And I was like, "Whoa, that's a lot of pressure." Right. Um, maybe we'll just do this thing with Mike. Cause at the time it just seemed like the same label to me. Like I didn't know that much about epitaph or fat other than they both seem to be these like juggernauts. And yeah. so I, I went with Mike. Except it's and, one, the one juggernaut has like a bunch of platinum records. <laughs> I think is the difference. Well, right. And some of that, <laughs> some of that I did know and some right, of that I didn't right. realize would, would still keep going. Nobody knew what sure. would happen either. So I just was like, you know what? It's more comfortable with Mike. And frankly, like we would have done better with Brett. Brett is very focused. Yeah. He's not on drugs. He's not anymore. He's, yeah. 
clear well not even then you know and <laughs> no, I think, no i know i know not even then. In, in retrospect we should have I should have taken the challenge and met Brett where he was and listened to an amazing, you know, incredible songwriter and business person who is thinking about investing in my band. But instead, I did something that was comfortable. Yep. And maybe, uh, you know, and, you know, there's drugs and booze involved, too. So at any rate, at any rate, we make the rep. Mike loves the demos. And he calls me when I sent him sent the master in. He's in Japan. And he goes, Hey, you got the sequence all wrong. And I said, What? And he goes, Yeah, I think you need to put 100 k first and you need to do this and you need to do that. And he had resequenced it at least to some degree. And I went, Okay, well, what's it worth to you? And he goes, What do you mean? I was like, I mean, is it worth five grand or ten grand or twenty grand? Like what what do you got? And there was this long pause. He was like, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, dude, I didn't sign to an independent record label to have the boss call me and tell me how to make the album. Like I signed to fat so we could do whatever we wanted. So I'm willing to change it, but you got to pay me. Wow. And he laughed and he was kind of annoyed. You know, he was like, you got to be shitting me. And I was like, well, you got to be shitting me. I want creative control. Right. And he goes, all right, well, it's your record. Do whatever you want then. I got to go. And he, so he was annoyed, and I thought it was, you know, sort of an act of artistic bravery or whatever you right. want. I just was like, no, you're not going to tell me how to sequence the record. But I think you can sense a pattern developing here. Like, you've got sure. a young, you know, fairly new to the game idiot who's, Telling these, you know, Brett Gerowitz and telling Fat Mike, like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I think that's fine if you know what you're doing. And I'm just not so sure when I look back, I did know what I right. was doing. Well, talking about the sequence, uh, 100K first, that's interesting. I wouldn't have probably grabbed that, you know. 100K is like the second last track, is that right? I think it's I think like, it's yeah, like it's somewhere near the end. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you like looking back and obviously fat Mike has made a lot of records and he knows he's an amazing songwriter. Do you think that he had any, he was right? Like if you look back and think about what he said, are you like, Hmm, maybe he was right. You think it would have mattered? Not on that. Not on that. No, actually. Because <laughs> okay. that was such a close record to my heart. Like I had written that record about losing my mom yeah. and it was supposed to go in a certain order. And, right. You know, I wasn't looking at the record as, Let's put our – at the time, I just thought, thought, well, we put out an EP and 100K started that. And we're already oh, okay. yielding by putting it on the record anyway. Like we already put this out. Our fans already know it. Little did I realize there was like 5,000 fans at the time. <laughs> you know? Of course. Right? Nobody had heard 100K. Like we, so I don't know. He may have been right commercially, but I mean that's such a – that record was so um, – it was so specific to – an emotional state I was in that I didn't really yeah. want to mess with. Brett, on the other hand, I think he was right. I think that's that's some that's a situation where I should have listened and should have been more receptive and strategic. You know, like I should have been like, wow, this guy runs the biggest and most successful independent label in history. <laughs> and he wants to put out my record. Maybe I should give him a listen. Right. And so I do have a regret about that. 
Yeah. Um, because generally speaking, like if you look at that band, had we kept going, most of it is keeping going, right? Like if we had just gone and made a third album and that record would have been devoured that my second solo record, those that that's most of the songs. Yeah. The band would have continued to be successful and we'd still, you know, we would have had a shot at least. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, there's, there's regret with any breakup or any slowdown. And I just yeah, think like, that, that's, go ahead. Sorry. I'll finish. Let you well, finish. I just think at the, at the end of the day though, it did bring me to this chapter and, and you know, when we did those loved ones 10 year, um, anniversary of keep your heart shows um the the one of the takeaways is as much as i was psyched to do them and and uh psyched by the response i was really psyched to be done with them because um what i'm doing now especially with regard to like playing with my brother and yeah and being able to play you know in a seated theater or or a church or something and a rock club and a festival is is a lot more suited to what i like to do so Absolutely. Um, you yeah. know, in the end, I'm happy. It, I don't do that anymore. But it. But when you look back and go like, wow, what could have been? Right. You realize some of the missteps. Well, what happened with the band anyway? Because it seemed like you never, like, there was never any clarity, at least for me as a fan, of what happened. It was just like, oh, well, the band isn't doing anything anymore. And now Dave's, I guess, doing solo stuff. But there was a period of time there where... It, it you know I don't think you guys ever played like a final show or you never made an announcement or anything unless I missed it you know of kind of what happened. No, it kept we just kept um, delaying that sort of statement, um, and to some degree we still have. You know the band isn't yeah. broken up. If there was a reason to play, we'd do it. It seemed more and more ridiculous as time went on to break up the band because right you know no one had stolen someone's. Uh, lover or or stolen money or you know i love those guys and and the feeling i hope is mutual <laughs> and, you know we're like brothers and yeah. um so there was no real reason to break up other than everyone was burnt out yeah. you had guys in their in their early 30s almost everybody was either married or getting divorces or whatever it was <laughs> like we were all in that that period and there just wasn't a lot of money yeah. and so w- when i came to them with the devour songs they were like, well, these are your best songs to date. And we should make this album as a band. Because at that point, I had made one solo record. And I figured I'd go back. And, you know, this is my big statement. This is, this should be done with a band. And pretty much all of them were like, well, let's put this out and see what happens. Like, we don't want to commit to a lot of touring. Right. And I was like, oh, that, I'll tell you what's going to happen if we put this out and don't tour. Like, Nothing. <laughs> yeah, and then you're and you're shooting yourself in the foot too, because then what? You're going to go on tour as Dave Haas playing loved one songs, and that you know, that yeah, it was it even was though they're really your songs. Yeah, I, it, it's right. Yeah, yeah. And I shouldn't say this, but the other thing was because money wasn't such uh, short supply, there was kind of everyone was kind of like, well, we want to share the publishing too, and I was like, but I wrote all these songs, right? So. So there was that argument, which again is amongst friends, which almost makes it harder when you're dealing with um, in a situation that doesn't feel equitable, but you love these people and they're your best buddies. It really creates a hard squeeze. Yeah, um, that is tough. So, yeah. And at that point I had done the revival tour over in Europe. I was starting to sell out my own shows over there and you know, I had an offer to go back with Alkaline Trio and Gaslight Anthem and um, 
you know, it was starting to really cook solo. Like people liked resolutions. And I just sort of saw it as a crossroads and I was like, well, then forget it. I'm just going to make this album on my own. I got management at the time, you know, yeah. social distortions management. And they were like, look, you know, let's go. What loved ones? Well, who? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so there started to be this really clear idea that I could um, make a living as a musician if I just squared up and did it. And those guys all sort of were like, well, then go do it. You know, I, I think well, two of them. That's great. You had their your they, that you had their blessing too to do it. I mean that that gives you some confidence as well, right? You know. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, it was also it was also a little bit of that feeling I had as a roadie, where I was like, "Are you guys trying to fire me?" And it's like, <laughs> "Am I not doing a good job as a roadie?" And that's why you're telling me to go work, <laughs> or you know. And almost that was the thing with the loved ones. I was like, "Well, if you guys are saying you back this, why wouldn't you want to do it?" So it was confusing. It was sure. really confusing. But my personal life at the time started to collapse as well. I was I was separating from my ex-wife and I just was like, you know, the, the leanest and meanest I can be is just out on the road. Like I can just play these songs with the guitar. I can do my thing and not be worried about all this stuff. Like you, Like you were even saying at the beginning of the podcast where it was like, you know, what about feeling responsible for your band? And, you know, yeah. like, I was like, I don't have to be responsible for anyone, including myself, because as long as, long as there was a bottle of whiskey backstage, right. I was fine, you know, and, and another show to go to. How long, so have you been, how long have you been sober? I got sober in 2015. So five years, just about. It's about to be five years in the summertime. How's that ride been for you? I mean, obviously, at your age, if, you were, if you're 42 now... Um, mm -hmm. basically you had your birthday, your 42nd birthday, and then the world completely, uh, took a shit, right? Like Man, on your birthday? it was the morning of my birthday where we canceled <laughs> Boston, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. Oh man. Yeah. Happy birthday, Dave. But, <laughs> but you know, at age, you know, you're, you're, you go sober at age 37, your late thirties, you've been touring for a long time at that point. You know, the bottle of whiskey backstage, that's kind of something that's always there that, you know, yeah. that, that in Obviously, if you went if you went sober, then you relied on that. Was that really hard to to just give it up? Um, and how is it yeah. been now? Obviously, trans transitioning into finding different things to, I guess, do for lack of a better word. Well, I think it's a good question um, because it, yeah, it was really hard, and it's it sort of feels like voting in, in America. It's the lesser of two evils. <laughs> I don't want to be sober. You know, like I, I, it's not a comfortable situation to always be in, but I certainly don't want to go back to being drunk and, and on drugs. Um, and I think part of that is maybe just like, you know, stopping doing it is one thing, but recovering is, is another. And I yeah. think like I'm still in that process, frankly, yeah. after all these years, like finally dealing with it in therapy and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, trying to determine why you did what you did, why you're an addict, et cetera, et cetera. That was slow for me and it's still slow for me. I don't, I don't have it all worked out, but, um, but I definitely think I'm better at being a human being than, than I was. And I think as bumpy as it is, and it's difficult as, as it's been at different times, um, I can keep my head held a little bit higher than I used to. Um, you know, I'm a better brother. I'm better at being a husband. And certainly 
would not have been prepared to be a dad of twins if I was still boozing and drugging. Um, I just think it's like, it's a crutch that was useful for a while. That's no longer useful. Um, and, uh, so I'm happy to be rid of it. I just, it's just sometimes hard to walk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations, man, on that. That's, that's great. And, And I think your last record is your best, your best work. Uh, so, you know, sober mind, uh, can, can make some incredible art. You know, a lot of people think, a lot of people think drugs or drinking helps. You know, I remember Frank Turner telling me, fuck that. I never wrote anything good when I was drunk or on drugs. You know, and when he said that, I was like, Frank Turner? I was like, that's a guy known for like, you know, you, you picture Frank Turner, uh, you know, his, I mean, I, I, I know we both know him, but it, his, 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 uh, whatever, his vibe, what he gives off is like, oh, Frank's drunk with an acoustic guitar sitting around the fire. You know what I mean? And he's and he's an amazing, amazing songwriter, singer about these stories. And he said that, and I was like, damn, like, if a guy like that doesn't need drugs or alcohol to write, that says something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a, I don't, I think he's right about that. And I think um, it was, it was interesting because after getting sober, I read two of the most pivotal uh, rock books that I have that I've that I've read. One was the Replacements book, and one was the Springsteen book. Yeah, and to some degree, like the Loved Ones, or then even what I what I do solo, you could kind of cross those two, and you get what I'm trying to go for: the Replacements sure. and Bruce Springsteen. Sure. But the the one thing that I sort of realized was that uh, you know the way that Paul Westerberg operated his band and and what I wrote romanticized about that really got in my way you know it it really wasn't the best way to operate it wasn't the best way to like bring fans in or or perform you know that sort of drunken circus clown vibe um you know the lyrics are much more geared towards like a Springsteen thing a redemptive thing like that's that's where I'm at my best I think is when I'm reaching for that and so to operate any part of my um persona or whatever you want to call it like the thing you shine out to the world as more of a drunken clown that's confusing the audience <laughs> was not the way to go and, and and so it was interesting to read those two books back to back and be like damn it I wish I would have I wish I would have reached more towards Springsteen and less towards Westerberg um when it counted you know when back then when it was like you know when I had that option and and now now I guess I do have that option sure. and, and I try to um reach more towards the light you know like I'm not it's not my bent I mean I even like walked back a tweet yesterday and and you know I had I put something up that was something to the effect of like let's have a live stream wherein like CEOs and and uh Wall Street types have to give money to the poor and if they don't we can light them on fire and it was funny and people you know liked it or whatever but i realized like yeah but you're playing to your base nature right and you're playing to like negative vibes and i'm you know i'm comfortable there but that's not really what this whole thing is about for me you know long term especially now with like children and it's kind of younger siblings and stuff and they're all through their husbands and they have hard jobs and you know to kind of be flippant and and negative right especially now it just feels irresponsible you know so i think like those are some of the lessons that i've learned over over time um 
you know, and, and unfortunately, those lessons were kind of learned in public. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, uh, well, hey, you so, live and learn. It's the oldest cliche in the book, but it's, I mean, there's nothing truer. So, hey, right. you know, exactly. here, here we are, uh, April 24th, 2020, and, uh, you know, who knows where we're going to go. I mean, well, dude, th- thanks for doing this. Um, anything else to tell the people uh, before I let you go? I know we've been talking for almost an hour. Um, well, just, I guess the easiest thing is if, if you're not familiar with what I do or, or where I do it, it's all up online at Dave Haas. That's H A U S E.com or, um, Twitter is Haas Dave, Instagram's Dave Haas. So some iteration of that is how you'll find what I'm up to. And I guess what we're all up to is in question right now. Yeah. And, um, we can safely do what we do best as soon as possible, but, um, yeah, I, I right now I'm just trying to. Uh, I, I guess my boys will be up in another hour from nap, and that's my first thing I gotta do. There and beyond that, I'm, I'm uncertain of what the world's gonna bring. But there but thanks go. so much for having me on, man. Of course, I, I really appreciate. It. Oh, of course, thank you, thank you for doing it and you know speaking so openly and honestly and uh, all the best, man, with everything, with the family, hopefully with figuring out you know what you're gonna do with music and everything else. And, uh, I hope you're writing. hope you're writing some stuff. Starting to. Yeah. Good. Yeah, for Good. sure. I mean, definitely, um, trying to steal a few minutes a day away for a couple, couple lines at a time, you know? Right. So well, I'd love, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Stay, stay healthy and, and, you know, all the best trying to figure out how to get, um, uh, music to people and, and, exist on that. You know, we're in the same boat in that respect. So. Absolutely. Well, Dave, Come thank- with anything. Shoot me a text. <laughs> I will do, man. Yeah, I, I'm. We're bored. We're all bored over here. Just shit. Yeah, whatever, man. It's all good. Hit me up, uh, Dave. Thank you so much, man. Um, all the best, and um, I'm gonna play a tune for the people. Do you have a favorite a solo track, or, or maybe a deep cut that you know maybe doesn't get that much love? Um, yeah, maybe Weather Vane off the new record will be fun. All right, um, cool. It's a kind of a look inside my brain <laughs> let's do it weather vane here it is on lead singer syndrome thank you dave thanks It's a whole lot believing in little white lies. 
music from Dave Haas. I want to thank Dave so much for taking the time out of his, I'm sure, very busy schedule to speak with me. Make sure you go check out all of Dave's solo stuff. And when you're done that, go back and listen to The Loved Ones, a great band that maybe fell through the cracks just a little bit. Hey, it turns out, you know, a lot of people right now really don't have a lot going on and they want to talk to me. And I have so many great episodes of the show coming up. So make sure that you're subscribed on whatever you're listening to this on. And uh, yeah, make sure you tune in next week for another doozy of an episode. Check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. And if you've got any tips about how to smash concrete faster than the way I'm doing it, let me know. Yes, I uh, know there's a jackhammer. I'm just, I'm old school, man. I got a sledgehammer. I'm smashing it. It takes out the rage. It's good. It's good. But yes, uh, I'm sure there's some professional landscapers right now. It's prime time season for you. So I'm just a lowly amateur. Anyway, thanks again so much for being here and tuning in. And uh, I will see you all next week. Peace and love.